Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. Thank you so much for joining us on this special update on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And to discuss this, not only the scriptures, but also what's going on with current events and everything, is the president and founder of Good Fight Ministries and pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, Pastor Joe Schimmel. How are we doing today? Doing great. Ready to see what the Lord has to say about this issue. That's yeah. what counts the most, right? I, you know what? I, I agree wholeheartedly. And I got to be honest with you, I have seen so many statements online things that are being said concerning the conflict and so forth. And then people even at our own congregation coming up and saying, hey, are you guys going to do something on this? Hey, I'm I'm really not, I'm not sure about this. I don't know what the Bible says about this, or I don't know how I'm supposed to understand these current events. And for you guys who don't know, since May 10th, over 4,000 rockets have been shot into Israel. And Israel's Iron Dome has actually stopped over 90% of those from coming in. But some have gotten through and killed a number of Israelis, as well as injured quite a few of them. And Israel has reacted to that conflict and come back against those who had fired those rockets, and in doing so have killed some people. I mean, let's just be honest, that's what's going on. There's a war going on, and it seems like if you were going on Twitter or Facebook or anything like that, it seems as though there is somewhat of a line in the sand. And this doesn't mean to the 100 percentile, but pretty close to what I've seen that most of those who are conservative-leaning typically are in support of Israel defending itself, whereas those of the liberal variety typically are very pro-Palestinian in in their thinking, in their line of thinking. And so what we want to look at is a lot of people, especially if you see online, you see, and it's not just, I guess you could say it's not just conservative because there's plenty of theologians that would say this as well and so forth, but a lot of people see Israel there, over there in the Middle East, as evil occupiers, or even that they've invaded the land of the Palestinians. And so, I guess the best question to ask is, is this true? Is there truth to, these are just evil occupiers who've invaded the land of the Palestinians? Yeah, uh, you'd expect this from Muslims, uh, them to deny Israel their land. Uh, you know, the Iranian leadership for years has talked about wiping them off the face of the earth, pushing them in the sea and so forth. You'd expect that from those who serve a false god. Uh, you'd expect that from liberals, you know, who hate Israel. Uh, you'd expect that from a lot of different groups that are anti-Semitic. Uh, but you shouldn't expect that, and you shouldn't want to see that, and you shouldn't see that among Christian theologians who claim to study their Bibles, you know. And there, and, and there's a lot of, and we're going to get into it. When we dive into scripture, it's like, it's not one of those things, well, this might mean this, or, you know, maybe God's, said something like you might bring his people back to land. It's, it's brothers and sisters, it is as clear as the nose in your face. It's clear as day uh, that God's not done with Israel. In fact, as Christians, we should get fired up and say, you know what? We know we want to stand for truth. We want to preach the gospel everywhere. But this is exactly what Jesus said would happen. It's exactly what the prophetic scriptures said would happen. This is part of the prophetic truth that God has revealed regarding the future of Israel. I mean, from Genesis to Revelation, God has a coherent plan regarding Israel, the rejection of Messiah, bringing them back in the land. Uh, so uh, what's heartbreaking is you have many professing 
Christian leaders who will just deny straight out scripture that talks about their future. And a, a lot of times we see what's called replacement theology. Replacement theology is the idea that the church has replaced Israel and the church, the promises that went to Israel have now been transferred to the church. And after they rejected Christ, you know, in 70 AD under Titus, General Titus, and they were destroyed under the Roman Empire and the diaspora took place, God's done with them. And now we get all the promises of Israel. You know, it's kind of almost funny if it wasn't so sad. They want all the promises, but they don't want all the the, 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 the curses that went upon Israel, right? Yeah. So yeah, we just get all the promises and so forth. Uh, but they missed something, and the Apostle Paul saw this coming. The Holy Spirit through Paul, God saw this coming in Romans chapter 11. talks about not being arrogant to the Jews who were broken off, the Israeli Jews who rejected the Messiah, that God has a plan, that he'll, he'll graft the believing ones back in at the end of the age, and he states that all Israel will be saved. And this is the context of the very end. So uh, Paul said not to be ignorant, and he also said, uh, not to be you know, conceited and high-minded, like, hey, we're the chosen people now. God's done with them. The very thing that the Holy Spirit was concerned about, the Lord God was concerned about and revealed to us the Holy Spirit is happening today. And there's a lot of historical revisionism. A lot of people, you know, and you know, they aren't even familiar with the history of Israel. They think that, oh, well, Israel were occupiers that came there in 1948 and just claimed that this land is ours, uh, as though it happened in some kind of vacuum, without any prophetic context, without any historical context. Uh, but, a lot of people are unaware that the Jews were there, have been there for 4,000 years since Abraham. And then Abraham saw the land and he was actually given the land a little bit after that. Uh, they were given the land as far as the Jews that left Egypt and went in, into the land. So I think it's very, very important that we understand the historical context and the prophetic context. And brothers and sisters, if you understand the historical context and you, you, you can just remember certain scriptures and then the prophetic context, it not only makes you realize when you see what's going on, you're, you'd be like, well, this is, yeah, exactly what God said would happen. This is what he's promised. But this actually shows you where we're at in regard to the prophetic calendar. So this is very revealing prophetically. Uh, so I think it's interesting uh, that long before 1948, even in the 1800s, 1880s, uh, about 1880 or so, there was a wave of migration among Israelis into the promised land or Jews into the promised land. And then in 1948, they were declared a nation. But uh, what's interesting about, really good friend of mine, Ted Walker, who you know, Chad, you know, you're his buddy now too. Uh, first time I met him, a gal wanted me to meet him really bad. She wanted him to meet me really bad. And she said, can you come down to LAX? I don't usually go down to LAX to meet somebody, but you know, I had, I'd made the time and I met brother Ted Walker and then his, his wife, Linda. And since then, I mean, we've had on the how many trips, five trips or more to Israel with them that where they've hosted probably more than that now. And it's just been amazing, but he gave me this huge book, you know, that was the Jerusalem Post. It was every front page of the Jerusalem Post since going back into the early 1900s. And then you see the rise of Hitler. They're wondering who he is. They're just reported on. You see the front pages. And then also in the Nazi Holocaust. And, and then later in 1948, they become a nation. But there's Jews already in the land. In fact, the Palestinian orchestra was all Jewish musicians before 1948. The Palestinian Post was a Jewish newspaper. Uh, and what I think is interesting... It's, and it would be funny if it wasn't so, because it's ironic, if it wasn't so sad, is I wrote an article for a prophecy magazine, pretty popular prophecy magazine, a few years back. Uh, and it was about how Islam and their view of Israel and how Muslims actually in the Quran, it states that they would help, that it states that they helped the Jews escape from Egypt, which isn't true. Muslims didn't exist until the 6th and 7th century and the rise of Muhammad after Christ. But they're saying, you know, 1,500 years ago, or I should say 1,500 years before Christ, 3,500 years ago, that the Muslims were the ones that helped the Jews escape from Pharaoh and help place them in the promised land and, and give them, it, it, so they could, 
And now it's interesting, like right now they're saying, no, no, this is our land. The Jews really don't really have any historical basis for it. It's like, you know, there's a lot of contradictions, as you know, in the Quran and uh, in the Muslim teaching. So it's just kind of interesting when you think about it. But listen to Genesis 12, because the bottom line, brothers and sisters, is what saith the scripture, you know? Mm-hmm. What does the Lord say about these things? And in Genesis chapter 12, the Lord says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And he says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And his name is great, right? And you shall be a, a, a blessing, which he has been a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And that's historically true. Look what happened to the Ger- Germany after they tried to kill 6 million Jews. You know, look at what happened to Spain. Look at what happened. Well, we could just go through the history. Look what happened to Haman, you know, <laughs> yeah. hanging on his own gallows. Uh, and I will make you a great nation. I'll bless you. And he says, I'll bless you. And so forth. And he goes, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So God's problem was to pick. He could have picked any any nation, but he picked Abraham and made a nation from him. That through him, he would bring the Messiah. And that through the Messiah, all the nations would be blessed. People would be saved from every different nation. Whoever would come to him would be saved uh, through the Messiah. So he preserved uh, this people to uh, bring forth the Messiah. But the promise wasn't until the Messiah comes. Then it'll be all over. You'll be done as a nation. No, God has promises specifically for Israel because of Paul states, because of his promise to Abraham. Isaac and Jacob, even though Israel became rebellious because his promise to them, he says in Romans 9 through 11, he's not done with Israel. And that's very, very important that we understand that. In fact, uh, Jesus, so let's, we're going to just get into a lot of prophecy as well as, you know, let me read one more uh, scripture in Genesis chapter 17, a uh, few, few chapters later. So Genesis 12, Genesis 17, book of beginnings. Uh, now, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Oh, Abraham fell on his face and he, uh, and so forth. He's worshiping God. Verse 8, it says, I will, the scripture says, I will, uh, I will give you and your descendants after you, you and your descendants after you, listen to this, the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for as ever for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And then he actually talks about opening up his eyes and you know the rivers and what defines the land, which is by the way far bigger than the land that we're now they now occupy. Far more than they occupy is their land by right. So right now, of course, the United Nations got involved and everything else. We'll get into that because we're going to get into kind of a little historical timeline now. But it's interesting. Paul says in Romans eleven, I say then, this is New Testament. I say that God has not rejected His people, has He? May it never be, for I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. And then he goes on to say that they're, they're enemies for the God because the gospel's sake. They don't love like the gospel. They don't know Christ. They're blinded from who the Messiah is. But one day that veil, it says, will be lifted, and a nation will be saved in a day, and all Israel shall be saved, which will be all true uh, Jews who ultimately turn to the Messiah. Uh, and he has a plan for them. So, And Paul's very, very concerned that this very thing that's happened would happen. And right now we have many preterists. Oh, prophecies all been fulfilled. We have many uh, Calvinists who are, you know, historicists or and those who are amillennial and say, no, you know, God's done with Israel and so forth. Uh, there are some Calvinists, thank God, who uh, understand that uh, in those in the Reformed view that God does have a plan for Israel. Uh, you were mentioning something I quoted in another episode some time ago uh, where Spurgeon talked about how God wasn't done with Israel, yeah. you know, and so forth. But listen to what Jesus said after you be rejected. He did say, what would happen to Israel, what would take place. But he, but you have to read the entire words of Jesus, including the book of Revelation, which is called the Revelation of Jesus Christ. But in Matthew 23, 37 through 39, just a couple days before Jesus was crucified, 
just a few days or so, Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. I was willing, right? He says, but you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. And it became desolate. Uh, Mark Twain wrote a whole thing when he visited Israel. I'm not going to read that. I'm going to read another Mark Twain quote because it's interesting. Even non-believers, agnostics, skeptics, he looked at Israel and he says, it's desolate. He goes, there's nothing here, you know, shrubs. And it's hard to believe people, you know, it's just amazing what he said. He says, your house will be left to you desolate. And, the, and he would say that, you know, you know, 1,800 years almost after Jesus said this would happen. For I say to you, uh, from now on, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So they would not be saved. They wouldn't see the Messiah again. It's important because it all fits together. And you're going to understand it, but you'll be blown away because when you see how well the scriptures fit together, you just sit back and you say, this is something that we should be confused about. Something This is exactly what the enemy would be doing, the Lord said. This is exactly what the Lord is doing in the midst of saving his people and getting the gospel out and then bringing Israel to him in the end. It's all part of the plan. But Jesus says, your house will be left you desolate. He went on to say just after this, Matthew 24, a few verses later, that you know because they were admiring those beautiful stones in the temple, he said, not one stone is going to be standing on another. You go to Israel today, we've had several Israel trips, and every time we go, it seems like more and more people want to go. They're awesome trips. We get into the Word. We go to these awesome areas, and hopefully, you know, you'll be able to join us next time we go. We'll see how that works, because right now you need the vaccination uh, to be able to travel there. <laughs> and I don't think I'm going to do that, but I might have to sometime. We'll see what happens. Lord, have mercy. Uh, anyway, so we have this. Mark Twain said this, if the statistics are right, the Jews constitute but one quarter of one percent of the human race. It suggests a nebulous puff of stardust lost in the blaze of the Milky Way. Properly, the Jew ought hardly to be heard of, but he is heard of, has always been heard of. He is as prominent on the planet as any other people in his importance and extravagantly out of proportion to the smallness of his bulk. His contributions to the world's list of great names in literature, science, art, music, finance, medicine, and are, he said, and abstruse learning, he says, are also very out of proportion to the weakness of his numbers. And far more since Mark Twain wrote this, right? <laughs> he has made a marvelous fight in the world in all ages. He has done it all with his hands tied behind his, his back. He's talking about because uh, all the persecution and so forth. He could be a vein of himself and be excused for it. The Egyptians, the Babylonians, and the Persians rose, uh, filled the planet, the sound and splendor then faded uh, to dream stuff and passed away. The Greeks and the Romans followed and made a vast noise. And they were gone. Other people have sprung up and held their torch high for a time, but it burned out. And they sit in twilight now and have vanished. Goes on to say, the Jews saw them all, survived them all, and is now what he always was, exhibiting no decadence, no infirmities of age, no weakening of his parts, no slowing of his energies, no doling of his alert, but aggressive mind. All things are mortal but the Jews. That's interesting. All things are mortal but the Jews. All other forces pass, but he remains. What is the secret of his immortality? Well, he saw something going on. Like, what is different about what's going on with these people and their history? And, the, and of all these people, these others had lost their nations, you know, 1,800 years plus since, you know, uh, you know when, when he was writing this. They weren't a nation, but he's like, they're so prominent. They don't even have a nation as far as a national homeland that they could call their home. Yet he's saying, look what they're doing. What's their secret of immortality? Well, Thus saith the scripture, you know, thus saith the word of the Lord. Yeah, and you know, one of the things we've covered this, we, I think we did an entire episode when we first started this, our podcast show, the Good Fight Radio Show, where we talked about the most underutilized apologetic, the most underutilized answer for the Christian faith seems to be prophecy. And 
for, I can't get my mind wrapped around why on <laughs> earth, outside of Satan putting a hedge against us yeah. to stop us from opening up and showing people, because I know for me personally, it was prophecy that opened up my eyes. I was saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, came to the Lord, but then it was prophecy that made me understand I need to be in the Word of God, understanding the Word of God, being washed in the Word, meditating on it. Amen. And I just have to ask, what on earth, especially think think about this, while we're talking about this, you guys are listening to this special update concerning Israel, all right, not only with what's going on in the conflict, but just overall in terms of time and even eternity. And what we want to say is, why is this being underutilized? Why is this being pushed to the side, especially concerning God's faithfulness towards even a lost Israel? No, that's a great question, Chad. Uh, it, it's you and I suffer from the same, you know, pain regarding biblical believers being illiterate toward prophecy. Unfortunately, you have guys like Rick Warren pop up and say, "Hey, you know what? Prophecy is a distraction of the devil." You know, from getting the gospel out. Uh, he literally said. Almost those exact words, you know, uh, I'm paraphrasing them, but he said that, and, and I think it was a purpose-driven church. Uh, and it's, it's really heartbreaking because God's given us prophecy so we would look to Christ. In fact, as we look at the Word, uh, we see the day star rising. Uh, the Scriptures talk about how we need to pay more closely attention, more close attention to the Word of God in Second Peter chapter 1. Uh, in preparation for Christ's return, Jesus said when we see these things happen, he said a lot of people's hearts are going to fail them, but for the believer, your heart's uh, not to let, our hearts won't fill us. They ought not to. We should look up, knowing our redemption draws nigh. So when I see what's going on in Israel, when Chad sees what's going on in Israel, we go, uh huh. That's what the scriptures say uh, would happen. But uh, as far as apologetics go, it isn't something that we should just recognize and say, "Wow, God is in control." He said these things would go down. That's one. That's an important facet of this. But as you're mentioning, Chad, it's important that we realize we should utilize this to win believers. When you go through the book of Acts, you see they're constantly persuading them. They use the word persuading more than once. They persuaded them. They didn't just say, hey, you're either unconditionally elected or not. You know, hopefully God's chosen you. No, they're persuading them to believe. And God uses prophecy to show he's the one true God. And I love the book of Isaiah. It's a mind-boggling book. Over and over again, the Lord chastens these idols who can't see, can't hear, can't talk, and so forth, can't walk. And they can't predict the future. He says, I, I'm gonna show you how, I can show you that I'm the one true God. I declare the end of the beginning. But is that just declare the end for the beginning prophetically? Because we can say, man, these guys can't predict the future. We can look at Muslims and Jehovah's Witnesses, and we can look at Mormons, and we can look at Scientologists. They can't accurately, 100% of the time, predict the future. That's because they're not God. In fact, they don't get anywhere close to psychics, you know, and so forth. Guess what? The Lord says, guess what? I told you the end from the beginning, because I'm the one true God. And you know what he specifically points out in that regard? The nation of Israel, his ancient nation that he established through Abraham. And he specifically brings up their past. You can't tell me their past. And you can't tell me their future other than what God's revealed, right? So we read this in Isaiah chapter 44, 6 and 7. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and last. Okay, he says, beside me there's no God. Then he says in verse 7, who is like me? Who is like me? Let him proclaim and declare it. Yes, let him recount it to me in order. In order, I love this. From the time that I established the ancient nation. And let them declare to them the things that are coming. So let, let, let them figure out, let them tell me what's happening from the time I declared the ancient nation and what's coming. And he goes on to give a series of prophecies about this ancient nation uh, regarding Cyrus, a coming world leader who will God will use and give a heart of a shepherd to free his people from captivity, which will happen after they're in one of their uh, diasporas. Uh, it's really mind-boggling. I mean, he even calls Cyrus by name years, you know, over 100 years or so before he lived. It's amazing. Isaiah 46.10. I make known to you the end from the beginning, from the ancient times, and what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. This is the Lord God 
saying that I'm in control. I'm in control. And I'm in control, not like prophecy and, 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 and sovereign over history, but I'm in control of my ancient nation and I'm making predictions about them whereby you can look and check it out and know that I'm the one true God. That is mind-boggling. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 11. This is what the Lord says. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to save you. For I will destroy. Now listen, this is important. Because he talks about how they're going to go to this diaspora. The, 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 the northern kingdom, the 10 tribes of Israel, 150 years or so before that, were rent, sacked by the Assyrians. They went into the diaspora. Now Judah, the southern kingdom, uh, Benjamin, uh, of course, and uh, the nations in the north and the south were only two nations, Judah and Benjamin. They too would now go into the diaspora. And he says, but I'm not going to destroy you all together. Because God made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He knew he'd always have a remnant of those who would trust him. Amen. And in chapter 30, verse 11, we read, For I am with you, declares the Lord, to save you. For I will destroy completely all the nations. Where I, now, this is interesting. I will destroy completely all the nations where I have scattered you. Only I will not destroy you completely. So what's he saying about, the Lord's saying here, about the Muslim nations and all the other, other nations that will one day encircle Israel at Armageddon, according to Revelation, the last book of the New Testament. This is a New Testament deal too, guys. All the nations will come together because out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet, out of the mouth of Satan. Revelation chapter 16, 14 through 16, they go forth to the kings of the earth to gather them in the battle of the great day of Armageddon, which Megiddo is in Israel. And it's also in Jehoshaphat where the battle will be. And they will try to destroy Israel and they'll try to destroy Christ that is coming. So this all goes from Genesis, which we just read chapter 12, some of chapter 17, all the way to Revelation now. We're seeing this as part of God's plan. He knows what the nations will do. But he says, I will not destroy you completely. God's not done with Israel. But I will chasten you justly. So God is disciplining Israel and he will chasten them. And yes, the Jews who reject him and hate God and so forth and die without, without, without knowing him, of course, they'll perish like everybody else because God's not partial. But he has had a promise that he's going to keep because he's faithful to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he has a people. And it's important that we understand that. He says, and I will no means leave you unpunished. He's going to punish them. But he says, I will not destroy you completely. And that's important to understand. They, they will never be destroyed. Yeah, I think that's really, really important when we talk about prophecy specifically because we're talking about end times and these promises and so forth. And over and over again, we see, without a doubt, God is not going to let them be destroyed completely. And yet all these nations are going to try to do this. This is prophecy. This is what the Bible says is going to happen. And you can put all your money on that. You can bank on it. All right. That without a doubt, Israel will not be destroyed. We can put all of our eggs into that basket, so to speak. And you kind of wonder what on earth I mean, obviously, they're they're under the prince of the power of the air. They think that they can destroy Israel, but it's just not going to happen. No, it's not going to happen. Uh, well, Al Jazeera, who's actually been hanging out a little bit with AP, uh, Muslim <laughs> yeah, Brotherhood, Hamas, yeah. Hamas, Hamas yeah. many different people in different Muslim groups would love to see Israel just destroyed or cease to exist. As we know, Iran wanting them just totally destroyed, uh, the Ayatollahs in the past. But, you know, I actually know the secret. If you really want to destroy Israel. I know, I know, I know the secret. Uh, many of us do know the secret. If you're going to destroy Israel, you can't go after Israel. You're going to have to destroy the entire universe. And if you can pull that off, then you can destroy Israel. How do I know that? Listen to what the Lord God promises regarding the preservation of Israel, which, by the way, is more biblical prophecy that's being fulfilled. He said he preserved them. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 35 and 36. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day, and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night. And there's zillions, right, of stars, right? Who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from me, 
If this fix already departs from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel also will cease from being a nation before me forever. So if Hamas can somehow pull off destroying all the stars in the universe, the sun and the moon, and the, the orbit of you know the earth around the sun, then they have a chance at destroying Israel. So uh, unfortunately, uh, when you attack Israel and you seek to destroy her and seek to establish your own plan, uh, you're actually touching, the Bible says, the apple of God's eye. You know, you know what you wouldn't want to do probably? You wouldn't want to go in the Serengeti and, and poke a big old lion in the eye. Not a good idea. You know what's even worse? Poking him who is a consuming fire in the eye. We can't even stand before the sun and get close to it. If we get closer and closer, we just burn up. The sun is just a little speck of light to God because the heaven of heavens cannot contain him. He's consuming fire. You're messing with God when you mess with his people. So, uh, you know, what's the secret to their immortality is Yahweh and his promises that he would, he would preserve them even in, in, in their fallen state. And how many of you, brothers and sisters, have been absolutely perfect since you were a Christian? None of us, you know, whoever says without sin is a liar and the truth is in them. But how many of us are grateful that the Lord is faithful to us? And the Lord is also faithful to the nation of Israel. And he's promised to be so. And I think this is very, very important. Uh, it's very, very important because there's no people group I'm aware of that Satan has tried to destroy more than the nation of Israel. Uh, one of the two things I observe when I go through the Bible and I read scripture is there's two very interesting phenomena that the enemy's all about. One is trying to derail the second coming of Christ, uh, or derail, we read that at the end of the book of Revelation and elsewhere, and one is, you read Psalm chapter 2, Revelation chapter 17, chapter 19, uh, derail the first coming of the Messiah, and to do that, he tried to destroy Israel over and over and over again, because if he could destroy Israel before the Messiah came, because remember in Genesis chapter 3, uh, there was the promise, you know, that the serpent would bruise the heel of the Messiah, the, the seed of the woman, which would be the Messiah, who would come from the woman. And we went into that just recently, that it was metaphorical, bruising his heel. It wouldn't be a wound that he wouldn't recover from. He rose from the dead. And also literally physical, forensically, there would be a bruise on his heel. Talked about that. But before his first coming, they could destroy the line of Judah, they could destroy Israel. And Satan is up there, he's accused of the brethren, saying all kinds of horrible things, even about Joshua, not the one who brought the, the patriarch, or the uh, Moses' protege who brought them in the land of Israel, but the high priest condemning him. He wants to condemn. He doesn't want the Messiah to come because he's going to get his head crushed, it says. Well, he couldn't stop it. He couldn't stop the first coming. But if he could destroy the Jews altogether, then he could stop the second coming because guess what? The Jews are tied to the prophecies of Messiah being who he is and him and all Israel being saved. So you could do, you could over, overthrow the whole plan. I'm saying hypothetically, you can't. It's impossible. You'll never, you won't budge an inch in destroying God's plan, you know? But my point is, is if they want to destroy uh, Israel, they're going to have to destroy God, the cosmos, and everything. But the Lord tells us over and over again. I mean, we see over and over again they tried to destroy Israel. I mean, we can read the book of Numbers. We can read uh, where Balak, Jesus referenced that too in Revelation chapter 2. He said uh, how, you know, uh, he came against the church at Pergamos because uh, he said, he commends them for certain things, he says, but notwithstanding, I have a few things against you because uh, you allow, you know, you have those there that hold to the doctrine of Balaam who taught he's a false prophet, who wanted to try to curse Israel, right? Couldn't. So then he taught Balak, the king who wanted him to curse Israel and paid him to curse Israel. Uh, he says he taught Balak to uh, teach, you know, he taught Balak how to uh, basically cast a stomach block, as it says, before the children of Israel to teach them to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit fornication because Balak sent his women over there, pretty women, batting their eyes, 
and seducing them and into sexual uh, experiences and then whipping out their idols and they became idolaters. But he couldn't do that because only a, a certain amount did that and so forth. Pharaoh killed many uh, children, tried to, you know, Moses was spared. He tried to wipe out a lot of the Jews. Uh, Haman, the whole book of Esther is about the evil man named Haman who had a, who made an edict among the the, uh, the Persians, which is now Iran, by the way, interesting, right? And the prince of Persia, which is a spiritual demonic entity that it was using Iran in the book, in the time of Daniel. It's even prophetic. It's not a, it's a spiritual war going along with all this. But uh, he tried to kill every Jew. He had an edict with the, the Medes and, the, and, and uh, the Persians to wipe out the Jews. Uh, we see that also with the, the Roman conquest. Uh, there's been almost, you know, estimates are around 2 million or so uh, Jews that were killed under the Roman conquest. Uh, and so forth, we have, uh, you know, the, the in general, uh, European uh, anti-Semitism in the past, Spain and, uh, of course, Germany. Uh, we have the Holocaust itself. The Holocaust, I mean, six million Jews killed. Hitler wanted to destroy every single Jew, not just the Jews in, in, in Germany. Understand, this was not, this. he was demon-possessed. You read about his occult, he was fully demon-possessed. And you know what? He went into 20 different nations rounding up Jews to kill them. Not just, not just Germany. And the Lord's preserved them through all this. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.